Good morning. Our passage today is Romans 15. Beginning at verse 22 through the end of the chapter. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Thank you, Mallory. Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans, and we're nearing the end. And so after this morning, um, we have two more weeks left. And so chapter 16, going to kind of divide that up into a couple sections there. And then on May 16th, we're going to start a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs. Bet you didn't think I was going to say that, did you? But uh, should be a lot of fun. Um, and interesting at the same time. And so going from Romans uh, to Proverbs, but it'll be great. Um, this morning, though, we're going to pick up where Mike left off last week um, here in Romans chapter 15, starting uh, in verse 22, where Mallory just read, really going through the end of the chapter here. And as we begin this morning, I want to begin with a quote uh, that we often share in our membership class and this, so many of you probably have heard this before, but it comes from a, a famous missionary to Africa uh, by the name of C.T. Studd. And don't you wish you had a name like him, C.T. Studd. I was just given the name John Crawford. You know, that's whatever. But, but here's, here's what C.T. Studd um, once said. He said, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. The light that shines the brightest, let me say that again. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. And, and that quote really summarizes and encapsulates who we want to be a church when it comes to evangelism and missions, both here locally within Kansas City and also globally to the ends of the earth. When it comes to Kansas City, we want the light of the gospel from our church to shine like really, really bright in all the different contexts and spheres of influence where God has placed us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in the different social contexts. Like we want from the members and the, and the lives of those within Cross Fellowship Church, we want the light of the gospel to shine really, really, really bright right here within our city. At the same time, and so this isn't like an either-or deal, right? It's a both-and deal. At the same time as the gospel, the light of the gospel shines really bright here in our city, we want it to shine really, really far to the most difficult, hard-to-reach, unreached, unengaged peoples on the face of the planet. And so like this is who we want to be as a church, not an not a either or where we have to choose local or global, but a, but a both and. Like we want to be a, a launching pad, that, that a, a church that develops and deploys missionaries to the ends of the earth. And so that, like that, that's why we sent the Haynes to Romania, that's why we sent the Bullards and, and Michelle and, and, uh, and, yeah, Michelle, I was about to say Michelle and, but... 
those two, never mind, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, where is she? Uh, there she is. So, um, <laughs> to North Africa, while, while we're sending uh, members from our church this coming Friday and, and this summer um, overseas, it's because we want to be a, a mission-sending church that not only shines the light of the gospel really bright here within our city, but shines the light of the gospel really far to the ends of the earth. But, but here's the deal when it comes to all of that. If we're really serious about everything that I just said, like if all of that is more than just pastor talk, if, if, this, is, if this is the reality of, of who we want to continue to grow to be as a church, then the reality is this. It's going to require all of us to be engaged in this effort, not just those that we send overseas. In other words, what I mean by that is that we all have a, have a part. We all have a part to play. We all have a role and responsibility when it comes to getting the light of the gospel really, really far to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're going to be reminded of when it comes to our passage here this morning. If you remember, we're in this section of Romans that's really Paul's conclusion of the letter, of his letter to the Romans. And within this conclusion, it's really a, a, an interesting conclusion. Because in this conclusion, it's basically just Paul's travel plans and travel itinerary. That's essentially what this conclusion of, of his letter to the Romans is all about. And so then if you remember from last week in verses 14 through 21, we saw last week Paul looks back and he recounts his missionary travels and where all he's traveled and how he'd traveled all the way from Jerusalem all the way up through Illyricum, sharing the gospel and planting churches. And so now in our passage this morning, he's not going to be looking back on where he traveled. Instead, this morning in our passage, he's going to look ahead to where he's about to go and where he's about to travel. But the key point I want us to see in our passage this morning isn't just, okay, this is where Paul's going next in his, his travel itinerary. Instead, the key that I want us to see within our passage this morning is this, is that the Apostle Paul isn't just some rogue, lone ranger missionary out there on his own. Instead, what we're going to see this morning is this beautiful picture of a partnership that exists between the Apostle Paul and the church at Rome and, and others. In other words, what we're going to see this morning is this picture of, of Paul fulfilling this missionary task that he's been given, this missionary task of sharing the gospel, making disciples, planting churches among those who've never heard the name of Jesus and never confessed the name of Jesus. But we're going to see that in order for Paul to do that, he needs others. He desperately needs the prayers of others, the encouragement of others, the financial support of others, the partnership of others, specifically those in the church at Rome. It's not just him out there on his own. It's him in partnership together with the church where they all have a role, they all have a responsibility to play as they're on mission together. One has been sent but the other is partnering with him in his missionary endeavors. And the same picture is true when it comes to us as a church. Like when it comes to those that we send, we don't just send them and just wipe our hands clean of them and, and forget them and, and give them a pat on the back when they return. Instead, when we send them, we continue to partner alongside of them. We continue to pray for them. We continue to encourage them. We continue to support them. We continue to partner alongside with them in their missionary task and missionary endeavors. And so that's what we're going to see within our passage here this morning. That we're going to use this, this partnership between Paul and the church at Rome kind of as a, as a template for us to help inform us and speak into us about what partnership truly looks like for those that we send as missionaries from our church body. And as we do that, what we're going to see, or you see this on your hand out there, but are four, what you would just call characteristics, a gospel partnership between those that we send and us that we partner together with. Four characteristics. And the first characteristic 
of this gospel partnership that we want to have as a church with those that we send is this. You see this on your handout there, is that we want to prioritize and support church planting efforts among those who are unreached with the gospel. Let me say that again. We want to prioritize and support church planting efforts among those who are unreached with the gospel. So then if you remember from last week, this was Paul's missionary strategy. His missionary strategy was to preach the gospel and evangelize those peoples and places who haven't heard the name of Jesus and who hadn't confessed Jesus as Lord. And so if you remember, that's what we saw last week. Look at verse 19 through 21. In verse 19, Paul begins by writing, he says this. He says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And so then this was Paul's missionary strategy. His, his strategy was to go to people and places, specifically the Gentiles, who hadn't heard the name of Jesus, who hadn't confessed Jesus as Lord. And so that's what he did, starting from Jerusalem, going all the way up to Illyricum, which would have covered all the missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts. But here, here's the key point I want us to see in talking about all this. What I want us to see is what determined where Paul went on his missionary journeys. That he intentionally and deliberately went to the peoples and places that were unreached and unengaged with the gospel. So remember that, right? And because of that then, look at what Paul says in verse 22 here. He says this, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. So then do you see what the reason is here? Do you see what the reason is that has hindered Paul from going to the church at Rome and visiting, visiting Rome? The reason is everything he just said in verses 19 through 21. Instead, the reason he hasn't gone to Rome and visited the church at Rome is because he's been so busy and so focused on fulfilling the missionary task that God had given him of taking the gospel to those who had never heard the name of Jesus. That's the reason that has hindered him from going to Rome and visiting the church at Rome. But look at what he says next in verse 23. Like, this is shocking. In verse 23, he says, But now, since I know, listen to this, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. What the shocking part of that is what he says at the very beginning of verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Like you read that and you're like, what? Like, like how, how can you say that, Paul? How can you say, like we're talking about a thousand miles from Jerusalem to Illyricum. So how can, you, how can you say, Paul, you don't have any room for work anymore <laughs> in, in, these, in these regions? Are you, are you saying, Paul, like everybody's heard now? Like every single person in these regions have heard now. Or, or are you saying like every single person in these regions have, have placed their faith in Jesus now? And so since that's the case, there's no room for work for you anymore, and so you can, you can go to Rome now. Like, like, is that what Paul is saying here? Well, no. It's not what Paul is saying here. Not everyone in these regions have come to faith in Jesus. Not everyone in these regions have heard the name of Jesus, have heard the gospel. And so then here's the million-dollar question. If that's the case, then how can Paul say that there's no more room for work for him anymore in these regions? 
Because I don't know about you, but if people still there haven't heard the gospel and haven't confessed the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord, then it sure sounds like there's a lot more work for Paul to do in these regions. So how can Paul then say there's no more room for work and he can come to Rome? Well, the reason he can say that is because he's planted churches. He's planted churches in these regions, and these churches now can do the work that he was doing. And therefore, he's no longer needed, and his work there is done, because there's a church there that has taken his place. And as a result there, he can leave there, even though there's still many, many, many people who haven't heard the name of Jesus and who haven't confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. His work there is done because there are churches there to continue the work that he started. And so now he can hightail it to Rome. But catch this. Even though he's been longing to get to Rome and see the believers there, even going to Rome is a little pit stop for him. Like he makes that clear, look at verse 24. He makes that clear in verse 24 that, that Rome's not even his final destination. And do you know why Rome's not even his final destination, even though he's longed to see them and longed to visit them? The reason Rome's not his final destination is because what? There's already a church there. And since there's a church there, he, he, it's just going to make a little pit stop. He's got to get refueled a little bit. And then he's going to hightail it to Spain. And do you know why, why he wants to go to Spain? Because they're in the church there. And so he's going to, Spain, he's going to Rome to kind of a little pit stop, because not staying there ultimately because there's a church there, but that church is going to support him, kind of fuel him up a little bit so he can continue on to go to Spain where, where, there's, where, there's, where there's no church. Like that's Paul's missionary strategy. His priority, his objective as a missionary and what the Rome, church at Rome was helping him to do was to go to places where there's not a church and proclaim the gospel and make disciples and gather those believers into churches and raise up elders within those churches and then to move on to other unreached, unengaged people and places and do the same exact thing. That was Paul's missionary strategy 2,000 years ago, and that's our missionary strategy as a church as well. In our, in our global disciple-making document that we put together as elders and that we shared with you, I don't know, that seems like forever ago. I think that was pre-COVID, and so everything like seems forever ago uh, before, before COVID. But we explained our global mission strategy as a church like this. Compelled by the glory of God and the gospel, in the power of the Spirit, in an obedience to the command of Christ, Cross Fellowship develops and deploys missionaries to make disciples and establish churches, especially among people and places with little to no access to the gospel. And it's important to, to define what we mean here by little to no access to the gospel. Like, like my neighbor who, who lives directly behind me is just as lost as a Muslim in Af Afghanistan. But, but do you know what the difference is between my neighbor and the Muslim in Afghanistan? The difference is my neighbor has access to the gospel. Like there are churches all around him. Like me, a pastor, lives like 25 yards, I haven't measured it, but like 25 yards from his front door. But the Muslim in Afghanistan can't even hear the gospel even if he or she wanted to because it's not available. They don't have access to it. In other words, the Muslim in Afghanistan will likely be born, will live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. And that's true for 3.23 billion people on the face of the planet. Like that's 10 times the size of the United States of America. So then yes, Everyone is equally lost, but not everyone has equal access to 
the gospel. And because of that then, that we as a church then want to prioritize and support church planting efforts among those with little to no access to the gospel. So that's the first characteristic as we think about partnering with those, with those that we send and who we send and why we send them and all that. The first characteristic is that we want to prioritize and support church planting efforts among the unreached, among those with little to no access to the gospel. Which then leads to, you see this on your handout, the second characteristic of gospel partnership that we want to exhibit as a church. And the second characteristic is this. We want to care for churches in dire physical need. We want to care for churches in dire physical need. This is where Paul turns his attention to next there in verse 25. Look there with me. In verse 25, Paul says this. He says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And so then, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans. He's writing this from, from the city of Corinth. He's writing from Corinth. So his plan, at this point in time, he longs to go to Rome, and then from Rome go to Spain. But before he does that, he, he says within these verses that he first has to go to Jerusalem. Which, if you know anything, I, I wish I would have had a map. But like Jerusalem is like in the exact, complete opposite direction from Corinth to where Rome and Spain are. So Corinth is here, Jerusalem is here, and Rome and Spain are here. And so Paul's like going to make this 2,000 mile long detour from Corinth to Jerusalem, and then over to Rome, and then on to Spain. So it begs this question then, what's so important for, for Paul that, that he would put off going to Rome? Like this church that he's longed to see, and he would put off going to Spain where they need to hear the gospel. Like what's so important that instead he would go in the complete opposite direction and press pause on, on going to Rome and, and going to Spain. Do you know what the answer is? The answer is there are a whole bunch of poor, believing Jews in the church at Jerusalem that Paul needs to take money to. That's the answer. He's putting this on hold so he can deliver a collection to the poor believing Jews in the church at Jerusalem. In other words, one of the primary things that Paul was doing on his third missionary journey that, that in which he ended up there in, in Corinth, one of the primary things he was doing was going around to the churches he had planted already and, and taking up a collection from these Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. So we're thinking, we're talking about churches like Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and, and other churches there. And he's collecting this money from these Gentile churches and his plan is to take that money then to the poor Jewish believers living in Jerusalem. And so then scholars aren't 100% for sure why these believers in Jerusalem, at the church in Jerusalem, were, were in such dire physical need. Most would say it's either because of persecution that they were facing because they were following Jesus, or it was because of a famine that they had experienced. Either way, these, these Jewish believers in Jerusalem, like they're in dire physical need. And so Paul then is going to deliver them this money that he's collected in these churches in Macedonia and also in Achaia. But it Look at verse 27, though. This is really interesting. Look at verse 27, because Paul here says something really interesting about this offering, this collection that he's going to deliver to the church at Jerusalem. In verse 27, he says that these Gentile churches owe it to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Do you catch that? Look there with me. He says, for they were pleased to do it, 
and indeed they, talking about the Gentile churches of Macedonia and Achaia, they owe it to them, meaning the, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. In other words, that's kind of hard to follow what Paul's saying here, but what he's saying is that the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual blessings that have come from the Jews, meaning the, the blessings of, of Jesus and all the promises that, come, that have come with him and through him from the, from, from the Jews. And so then since the Gentiles have received all these spiritual blessings that have originated and come from the Jews, then the least that these Gentile believers can do now is to share their material blessings with these, with these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And the reason, here's the point to catch though, the reason that's so important to Paul, so important that he's going to press pause on seeing the church at Rome and, and taking the gospel to Spain, the reason this is so important to Paul that he would delay that is because of what this offering from the Gentiles symbolized. That this offering from the Gentiles to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, a whole lot more was happening than them just feeding poor Jewish believers, which again is important, so I'm not minimizing or undermining that. But this offering was demonstrating and symbolizing something a whole lot more important than just feeding these poor Jewish believers. Instead, what this offering was symbolizing, it was symbolizing the unity and the oneness of the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers in the church. That's why this offering was so important and significant for Paul to deliver, because it symbolized that both groups were together in one body. So then when it comes to us in, in this particular passage, it's hard to really know exactly and precisely how this passage applies to us as a church within, within our context here today. But, but here's one maybe specific application to think through of how this passage is relevant for us as a church. It would be this. As we send out more and more missionaries to hard, unreached, unengaged people and places in the world who have little to no access to the gospel, then guess what's going to happen? Or guess what we hope happens? They're going to be faithful in sharing the gospel. And they're going to be faithful in making disciples. And hopefully they're going to gather these, these new believers into, into churches. And guess what's going to happen probably to, to some of these churches, if not many of these churches? At some point in time, they're going to suffer for some, they're going to suffer because of persecution, because they're following Jesus. They're confessing the name of Jesus, and it's dangerous to follow Jesus and confess the name of Jesus within their context. And some of them might suffer because of, of some famine or, or some other form of suffering. And because of that, and persecution and famine and other forms of suffering, there's going to be all these physical needs and 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 dire just physical conditions in which they find themselves in that they're going to need help with. And because of that, then we, we have an opportunity as a church like to take up a collection and to come alongside these new brothers and sisters in Christ who are in these new churches that have been planted in these unreached, unengaged places and peoples all over the planet. But here's the thing, when we do that, like we're doing more, and again, I don't want to minimize this, but we're doing more than just feeding poor people. Instead, by, by, by supplying these physical needs that they have and coming alongside and helping them in these ways, what we're doing is we're demonstrating, along with these brothers and sisters in Christ from North Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia and Romania and wherever else, we're demonstrating that we're all part of this same multi-ethnic global family that belongs to one another, that cares for one another, that loves one another. That's what that 
offering and that collection symbolizes when it comes to taking care of those who are in churches and in dire physical need. So that's a second characteristic we see here of gospel partnership that we want to exhibit. The third characteristic then is this, is that we want to pray for our missionaries on the field. We want to pray for our missionaries on the field. It's what we see Paul asking the church at Rome to do next there in verse 30. Look there with me. Paul makes this appeal here in verse 30 to the church at Rome, and here's here's the appeal that he makes. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So then here you have, right, the the Apostle Paul, the missionary Paul, asking those in the church at Rome to pray for him. But look specifically at what he asked them to pray for. We see it there in the very next verse, in verse 31. Here's what he wants the church at Rome to pray for him. He says, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. So that's the first thing he wants them to pray for him, that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And what he's referring to here is that he's, where's, where's, Paul, where's, where's Paul going now? He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to Judea to take this collection back to the church at Jerusalem. And when he gets there, Paul knows that there's going to be a whole bunch of unbelieving Jews there who aren't going to throw him a welcome party. And so that's the dude that is, they're going to know Paul's the dude that has caused all this uproar and caused a lot of these Jews now to begin to follow Jesus and, and all this stuff. And, and they're going, to, they're going to try and catch him. They're going to try and, and imprison him. They're going to try and kill him. And if you just keep reading in the book of Acts, that's exactly what they do when he goes back to Jerusalem. And because of that, then Paul is asking the church at Rome. He's appealing them. He's pleading with them, pray for me when I go down there and take this collection. Pray that I would be rescued and and, and um, delivered from those who are trying to persecute me and kill me in Jerusalem. The second thing, though, he wants them to pray for is, is this. We see it in the rest of verse 31. He says, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What he's talking about here, his service to Jerusalem, is when he takes the offering from the Gentile churches to Jerusalem. And he's, what, he, what he's asking the church at Rome to pray for is that the church at Jerusalem would accept that offering. They would, they would receive it. In other words, there's a temptation for the church at Jerusalem to say, that offering comes from a bunch of unclean Gentiles. No, we don't want it. But instead, their acceptance of that offering, do you know what that would symbolize? It would symbolize the Jewish believers' inclusion and acceptance of the Gentile believers into the church. And once again, their acceptance of the offering and the Gentiles' giving of the offering once again symbolizes and demonstrates this whole new corporate multi-ethnic family that consists not just of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but consists of Jewish and Gentile believers. So that's what Paul wants the church at Rome to pray for. But what I want us to see here is is how Paul wants them to pray. Not not just what he wants them to pray, but how Paul wants the church at Rome to pray. Did you notice that in, in verse 30 there? Paul is appealing to them, those in the church at Rome, to notice that language there? To strive together in their prayers for him. I want to underline or circle that word strive there. It means to wrestle It means to struggle. It means to contend. It means to to agonize. It's the picture of working hard at something. It's the picture of exerting effort. It's the picture of like sweating. It's the picture of disciplining yourself to to be engaged in, in something. And he's not talking about here like a good workout. He's not talking about here lifting weights. He's not talking about a basketball game that they play together. He's talking about, he's explaining how they pray. That's that's the picture here. That when they pray for him, he wants them to wrestle, to struggle, to exert all this energy and 
effort and agonize and struggle and contend in their prayers for him. That's how Paul expects and is pleading with them to pray for for him. Which then begs this question. Is this how we, is this how you, does this describe your, does this describe our prayers for those that we've sent? And this is more than just a casual, flippant prayer whenever you get around to it, whenever they, they come into your mind. Strive, wrestle, agonize, exert effort, discipline, energy, putting all your energy into it. Like, do you pray that way for the Haynes? Do you pray that way for the Bullards? Do you pray that way for Michelle? Will you pray that way for those that we send on Friday and, and this summer? Does that describe your prayers for those that we send as a body? If not, like if that's not you, then, then here's one way that might motivate you to pray that way. It's, it's to remember this. It's to remember why we need to pray for those that we send. It's to remember why we need to pray for those that we send. If you lose sight of why we and you need to pray for those that we send, then you're probably not going to pray for them. And you're definitely not going to strive and struggle and wrestle in your prayer for them. But do you know why we need to pray for them? Like, do you realize what in the world we're sending them to? Like, have you really ever thought about that? Like, we're not sending them on a nice little walk in the park to go get some ice cream. Like, we're sending them into a knockdown, drag out, fierce, ferocious, no holds barred spiritual war. Like, that's, that's exactly where we're sending them. Like, think about it. We're sending them to some of the most hard-to-reach people on the face of the planet. For some, we're sending them into the most, some of the most dangerous places and peoples on the face of the planet. We're sending them to people who are steeped in false religion and have been steeped in this false religion for centuries and whose eyes are blind and whose hearts are dead and hardened. We're sending them to people that if they believe this message that we're sending those, that we're sending our people with, if they receive that message, they could die. They could be persecuted for their faith if they confess Jesus as Lord. And we're sending them to, to plant a church where no church exists. Where missionary after missionary after missionary after missionary has been sent to try and do the exact same thing. And not only that, we're sending them like to learn a new language, to live in a new culture, to live far away from family and friends, and many of them to raise families and little kids within the context and midst of all this ministry. In other words, we're sending them to do something that, humanly speaking, is impossible. It can't be done, and they can't do it. No matter how hard they try, no matter how gifted and skilled they are, they lack the ability in and of themselves to make spiritually blind eyes see. They lack the resources in and of themselves to make spiritually dead hearts come alive. They lack the ability and the resources to make disciples, make anybody come to faith in Christ, plant a church, raise up elders, and move somewhere else to do the exact same thing. They can't do that. In order for that to be done, it takes a miracle. It literally takes a supernatural work of God. And since that's true, then the one thing they need more than anything is a church back home that doesn't just, oh, yeah, them, let's pray for them. Oh, yeah, forgot about them, let's pray for them. They need a church back home that strives and struggles and wrestles and agonizes in prayer 
every single stinking day for him, consistently and deliberately. Like the mission work is a supernatural work that only God can that only God can accomplish. And so listen, please, if you're not regularly and consistently praying for the Boyds and praying for the Haynes and praying for Michelle and, and praying for those that, that are, we're sending this, this summer, then, then please begin to find a way to do so. If you need information about how to get with their contact with their newsletters that they send out and, and any of that, then please let us know and but just let's, let's be faithful to strive together in praying for them as Paul's asked the church at Rome to do for him. Fourth final characteristic we'll end with, with this. It's that we want to then refresh our missionaries on the field. We want to refresh our missionaries on the field. So what we see Paul asking for there in verse 32, look there with me. He says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So then once again, Paul's gonna deliver this collection to the church in Jerusalem. Then after he delivers this collection, he's gonna hop on a boat. This is his plan, to hop on a boat and make his way to Rome, the church at Rome, before he then heads on to Spain to proclaim the gospel plant churches. But one of the purposes for why he's even going to make this pit stop in Rome is so that when he gets to Rome, the church at Rome can, he uses the word, refresh him. So that he can go to Rome and be refreshed by their company. And I love that word refreshed, right? Doesn't that just sound soothing and relaxing and peaceful? Because that's what that word means. It means to to rest. It means to be refreshed. It means to relax. And so then Paul's looking forward to that. He's, he's, He's been hard at work. He's been imprisoned, beaten. He's been run out of cities and run out of towns, and he's traveled far and and wide. He's exhausted. He's spent. And he's just longing for just a little respite, just a little time. He can, on his way to Spain, that's that's his goal, that's the ultimate destination, but just wants to take just a little bit of time in Rome to be refreshed by the church and be refreshed by the believers there. Which is a really good reminder for us, isn't it? Especially when it comes to missionary work. It is hard. It is exhausting physically, emotionally, like living cross-culturally in in a context where people don't look like you, talk like you, and think like you, it just sucks you dry. Like raising a family, young kids, in a country and culture that is just Unlike anything that they or you have been a part of, it's just, it's hard. Living as a single, away from family and, and friends, all alone in some cases, in a country and culture like that can be exhausting. Learning a new language, making friends, sharing the gospel every day on hard soil. And seeing no fruit whatsoever, no interest whatsoever, that's hard. It was physically exhausting and and tiring for Paul here. And it's physically exhausting and tiring for the Haynes and the Bullards and Michelle and others that we send as well. And think about this, if Paul, of all people, like the missionary Paul, of all people, need to be refreshed, then how much more do the Bullards and the Haynes and Michelle and those that we send need to be refreshed? And so then that's the question, right? How can we, as a church, refresh those that we send? How, how can we be, how can they be refreshed 
by our company? What, what might that look like for us? Well, here, here's some practical ways. Real quick, we, we can email them, we can text them, check up on them, just let them know we're thinking about them, encouraging them, seeking to refresh them that way. Like all of us, we've learned what Zoom is, you know? We can, we can I didn't even, anyway. We know what Zoom is now, you know, or whatever other device or platform or whatever the language, you know, so we can see them face to face and refresh them, encourage them that way. We can support them financially, send different gifts that would encourage them and refresh them. We can physically go and visit them, be with them face to face, like there's nothing more important than just for a missionary than like physical presence of somebody going there with them, seeing them eyeball to eyeball, being with them. We can refresh them that way. There's a whole host of ways, a lot of different ways we can refresh them. But the key here that we need to see is, is that we don't just send them, but we come and we seek to refresh them and encourage them along the way. Like, like living as a missionary, it'll, it'll, it'll eat you alive. It'll chew you up and spit you out and, and literally burn you out and discourage you and kill you faster than, than anything else. And because of that, they need to be refreshed. And so how can we as a church refresh them? So that's four characteristics that we see here of how we as a church, just kind of following along this, this picture of Paul and the church at Rome, how we can partner together with those that we send. Those are some ways we can do that. As we conclude this morning, I don't want us to just focus on the how. I want to conclude with this. I want to conclude with the why. With the, with the why. Like, we don't just need to know the how here. Like, if we, if we forget the why here, then this how is not going to last very long. We're going to leave here all pumped up, ready to go. We're going to pray and refresh and prior to, you know, and all this stuff. And then three days later, you know, it's, we're back to normal. And so what's, what's the why? Why are we doing this? Why do we send people why do we partner together in these ways? Why do we prioritize these church planting efforts that are so hard among unreached peoples? Why do we strive in prayer for them? Why do we seek to refresh them? Like, what's the point? What's the end goal? Why are we doing this? Here's the reason. Like, the ultimate chief reason. It's because Jesus is worth it, and it's because Jesus deserves it. In other words, we're doing this because Jesus is the resurrected king. Like he's the king of the world. He's the king of every person and every people group on the planet. And because he's king, then he's deserving of the worship and of the allegiance and the praise of all peoples. But here's the greatest injustice in the entire world. He's not getting it. And that's a problem. Like he's deserving of the worship of the Hausau people in Niger and the Dujan people in Kazakhstan, the Talish people in Azerbaijan and the Baloch in Pakistan and the Badari in Sudan and the Hazari in Afghanistan. Like he's, he's deserving of the worship and the allegiance of 3.23 billion people on the planet have little to no access to the gospel. And so then this is why we send the Bullards. This is why we send the Haynes. This is why we sent Michelle and the others we're sending this summer. And why we're sending them to plant churches. Why we're praying for them. Why we're refreshing them. We're not doing this. Please catch this. We're not doing this simply so that we as a church can say, hey, we helped plant a church over there. Or hey, look what Look what, what we did through this missionary over there. Instead, the reason we're doing all of this is because Jesus is king. And he's deserving the worship and the allegiance of all people. And he's not getting it. That's the ultimate drive and God-centered, Jesus Christ-exalting motive for why we engage and why we send people globally and seek to get the light of the gospel as far as we possibly can. It's so that worshipers of Jesus would be raised up among all peoples, praising and, and honoring and giving King Jesus the allegiance that he ultimately deserves. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you for your word, and we realize in so many ways that we are a part of something that's far bigger and far serious, far more serious and weightier than we ever imagined. Lord, the reason we gather together, the reason we exist as a church, the reason this church was even formed to begin with, and the reason we gather together week in and week out isn't so that we can simply have a nice little service each week and a nice little pick-me-up to get us through the week and then gather back together again and push, repeat, and do the same thing all over again. Lord, that is not what we desire to be as a church. But instead, we desire for the light of the gospel to shine really bright in this city, in the neighborhoods and the workplaces in which we live. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold and courageous and speak the gospel in all the different contexts and spheres of influence which you placed us here in this city and that the light of the gospel would shine really, really bright from Cross Fellowship Church. At the same time, Lord, we gather together in order to raise up and develop and deploy missionaries that we can send then and partner alongside in these ways that we've looked at this morning to the most unreached, unengaged peoples on the face of the planet. Lord, that is why we're here. We're here on mission. We're in the midst of a, of a war in which people are either going to go to heaven or people are going to go to hell. And you've given us the truth and the beauty of the gospel to share with them here, but also way, way over there. And so, Lord, help us never grow so casual and so at ease in which we just press the, the, the auto, automatic button and, and just kind of go through the routine of, of church life um, and fall into that trap. But Lord, help us to be a people that are zealous for the glory of Jesus and the exaltation of Christ as king among all peoples in all places on the face of the earth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.